0: Chapter 10 of Stories of Enchantment. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Layman, Reseda, California. He was a Prince. The rain had poured down steadily all day. Max was tired and depressed for a slight cold made going out into the rain impossible. All the books had been read and re-read. There was no one to amuse him but Candace, the nurse, a mulatto woman of dignified and solemn mien, who always reminded him of Thorwaldsen's Africa, for her large eyes had a faraway look, as if she were remembering things, Max said. She was kind, but seldom talked to him, and as Max had no mother to tell his thoughts to, they would sit for an hour at a time, dreaming their own dreams, neither speaking to the other. As the afternoon wore on, Max grew more and more restless, and his sighs more frequent. Nurse Candace glanced up from her sewing, but said nothing. Just then the great white cat, Necho by name, rose up from his dark red velvet cushion, yawned wearily, stretched himself. "'and stepped with stately grace from the room. "'Why, he walks like a prince,' said Max. "'He is a prince at night,' said Candace. "'Is he? How do you know?' eagerly asked Max. "'If I tell you, you must not let him suspect, "'even by your actions, that you know,' said Candace, "'or my punishment.' "'Here she broke off. "'I promise,' said Max. "'Well,' It is as I tell you. All day long, while the daylight lasts with us, he is under a spell. Once, in the olden days, his father, the king of Egypt, caused to be put to death a great magician. But before his death the magician laid a spell upon the great king's only son, Prince Necho, and this was it. When night came, the prince and one attendant were to depart to the westward, far over the unknown sea and when they came to the land of strangers, the prince must take the form of some animal. When the queen heard this, she was filled with despair, and implored the great cat-headed goddess, Pact, to have mercy on her son. But all the comfort the goddess promised her was that the spell upon the prince should last only from darkness to daylight, that he might take the form of the animal sacred to the goddess, the cat, because of his pure and blameless life he should be a white cat, that while he was under the spell he should have a kind and loving master, and his faithful attendant should be with him. Now, when night is settling down over us, and the sun-god is rising over Egypt, great Prince Necho returns to his own, not to the present Egypt, with its lonely ruins and its race of slaves, but to a great and glorious realm, for the curtain that hides the past is lifted. "'And do you go with him? Are you a great princess in Egypt? "'Oh, may I not go too? Please, please, Candace, let me.' "'Peace, child of the stranger,' said Candace sternly. "'Is it not enough that I am revealing the prince's life to you?' Then presently she added in a kinder tone, Now at night, when Neko goes to the door and asks to have it opened, you unfasten it for him, and watch him as he walks leisurely to the steps of the porch. But what you do not see is a great ocean, whose waves lap the steps, and on its waves rises and falls a galley of gold and precious wood, with silken sails. This awaits the Prince." He steps on board and is received with joy by kneeling subjects. The white fur robe he wears here is thrown gladly aside, and the prince sinks to rest, lulled by beautiful music. Speedily he is borne to the mouth of the Nile, where thousands of boats await his coming. Softly he is wafted up the river to the great city, where, in their palace by the water, wait the king and queen." THE FATHER ADVANCES WITH JOY TO RECEIVE HIS SON. THE QUEEN, WITH TEARS IN HER BEAUTIFUL DARK EYES, CLASPS HIM IN HER ARMS AND KISSES INTO FORGETFULNESS THE SAD NIGHT OF HUMILIATION HE HAS KNOWN. ALL THE LAND REJOICES, AS AT THE COMING OF THE SUN-GOD. THEN BEGINS THE REAL LIFE OF PRINCE Necho. HE IS TAUGHT BY THE PRIEST THE SACRED MYSTERIES HE MUST KNOW AS THE GREAT RULER OF EGYPT. He is taught also the art of ruling himself, as well as his subjects. In all manner of noble feats of horsemanship, of chariot racing, of hunting, and of war, he is taught. And the hours are light with happiness and joy and love. And as the day nears its closing, the father and mother, sitting by him and clasping his hands, speak of their love and their sorrow, and of the time when— By great gifts to the gods and to the poor, and by living noble lives, they may expiate the crime of the magician's death, beloved of Osiris, and so remove the spell from their beloved one. Now, as the sun sinks in the desert sands, behold, there is mourning in all the land of Egypt, and the queen, prostrate on the steps of the altar sacred to pact, implores her protection for her darling while the king and the prince, kneeling in the great temple of Osiris, offer oblations to the offended god. As the twilight deepens, sadly the prince returns to his galley, and sinking into troubled dreams, is born to this land of strangers, and here the waiting attendant wraps the white robe of fur around him, and he awakes to find the spell not yet removed but the one bright spot in his dark prison life is the love he bears the son of the stranger. While Nurse Candace, in a low monotone, repeated her wondrous story, the night outside the windows darkened, and Neko, coming into the room, came up to Max and rubbed his head gently against his knee. Then, walking to the hall door, he asked for it to be opened. As Max stood in the open door and watched the enchanted prince go down the steps, he fancied he saw, through the rain, the sheen of the silken sails and the gleam of gold on the galley's prow, and was sure he heard the hymn of welcome. Returning to the room, he saw Nurse Candace sitting with bowed head and sad eyes. "'The attendant does not go with the prince to Egypt,' said Max." "'The attendant awaits here, the prince's sad returning,' she answered. "'But the days will not seem long to the prince. "'He sleeps the time away,' he said. "'What better can he do,' answered Candace, "'than to make of this life a sleep and a forgetting, "'or to wander in dreams in Egypt?' "'Long did Max sit and ponder over this strange story. "'Can it be true, I wonder,' he thought.' "'It cannot be. It is too wonderful. "'And yet Candace is so strange, "'and Neco often reminds me of the Sphinx. "'Well, I will believe it if tomorrow morning "'I find a lotus blossom on my pillow.' "'And so, going to bed, "'he dreamed of following Neco over a sunlit sea to Egypt. "'Strange to tell,' In the morning a blue lotus blossom lay on his pillow when he awoke, and when Candace came to call him, she glanced at the flower and started. "'Where did it come from, Candace?' asked Max, although he was quite sure that he knew. "'From the market, of course,' answered Candace. "'Uncle Moses, the colored man of all work, was there early and no doubt brought it home with the marketing. He must have laid it on your pillow.' But Max thought Neko could tell him about the flower, although he was careful not to ask him, or by his actions to reveal the secret that he knew that he was a prince. A few nights later Max had retired early with a severe headache. He awoke, after a deep sleep, to find his headache gone, the room filled with moonlight, awoke to the pressure of a soft hand on his forehead, and saw Candace bending over him. But how oddly she was dressed! He gazed at her in wonder, and then it flashed through his mind that her costume was an exact copy of a picture he had seen, taken from some rock tomb by the Nile. It was the ancient dress of an Egyptian lady. Waken, Max, rise and dress quickly, for permission has been granted us to go this night with the prince to Egypt. "'Hasten, and I will wait for thee "'outside the door.' "'How soft and musical her voice sounded, "'soft and exquisite as a haunting melody "'heard in dreams, "'and how wonderfully her strange dress became her. "'But almost before he had time to note this, "'she had vanished softly from the room. "'Wondering greatly, "'Max hastened to dress. "'But what was this? "'Instead of his usual garments,' he found the very oddest dress that was ever worn by an American boy. Strange to say, he found no difficulty in placing the different articles, for each one seemed to take its required place without effort on his part. It was all so familiar, and yet so strange. Soon he was attired in the most approved costume of a young Egyptian noble of some thousands of years ago. When he had finished dressing, he softly opened the door. Candace seized his hand and hurriedly drew him through the upper hall and down the stairs. And there Max beheld a wondrous sight, for the hall door was open, and down the hall and porch knelt two rows of the prince's subjects, richly and strangely dressed. But he had small time to note them, for at the foot of the stairs stood the prince. When Max saw him in all his glorious young majesty, something in his heart compelled him to bow the knee. Freeborn though he was, he knelt low before the prince, for his face was homage-compelling. The prince was dressed in dazzling garments, and jewels innumerable glittered when he moved. From his shoulders hung the white fur robe. Taking Max's hand, the prince bade him rise and turning to his attendants, commanded them to hasten. Quickly they stepped on board. Candace reverently drew the white robe from the prince's shoulders. Then, settling back among his silken cushions, the prince bade Max sit beside him. Candace knelt at his feet. And strange to relate, Moses, in most gorgeous array, held the insignia of royalty over the head of the prince. Then, to the accompaniment of soft music, as they swiftly sailed, the prince told how he had prevailed on the priests to allow him to take with him Max and Candace. And they were the more willing, said the prince, since it was predicted by the astrologers at my birth that I should be saved from great evil by one of an unknown time and race. And the astrologers assure the priests that the hour has come, then Candace, looking far across the sea, murmured her thanks to Pact that it was come, and Max told the prince how he longed that he might have the great honor and joy of saving him. Then Prince Necho set himself presently to the task of teaching Max the forms and ceremonies to be observed when they should come into the presence of the king and queen, and Max learned readily "'as one recalling some half-forgotten lesson. "'When they had reached the mouth of the Nile, "'they were borne up the river to the city of the great king. "'There the royal father and mother "'and a great multitude welcomed them to Egypt. "'The queen kissed Max, "'and her lips were cool and soft on his brow "'as the petals of the lotus blossom. "'And afterwards she embraced Candace.' and thanked her for her devotion to her son. Then, after many strange ceremonials and great rejoicing, the multitude were dismissed, and the king and queen led the way to their private apartments. Now it seemed to Max that he remained many days in the palace, and saw wonderful sights, and his soul was surfeited with pleasures. But the prince grew restless under this life of ease and luxury, "'and longed to break away from it all. "'One day he said to his royal father, "'I would I might take Max for a day's hunting. "'I would show him noble sport.' "'The queen looked up, pale and anxious, "'and the king answered slowly, "'Thou mayest go, since the spell is on thee, "'but beware the lions.' "'And Necho answered, "'Why should I fear them? "'Am I not thy son?' Then am I mightier than they. But the queen was weeping. Then the next day, early in the morning, they started for the wild beasts' haunts in the thick jungles by the river in the royal hunting grounds. And on the way, Neko said, Max, part of the spell laid upon me is my mad desire at times to hunt the wild beasts and kill them. When that desire comes, I know no rest until I have killed just then the royal hunters came to them and announced a lion hidden in the thick reeds. Then Neco, leaving Max in safety to view the sport, sprang into his chariot and bade his charioteer drive on. Straight through the jungle they drove, when out from it sprang a great tawny beast. At the sight of it Max's heart stood still with fear. On it bounded, past the horses, straight at the prince. Swift as thought he threw his spear. It sank deep into the eye of the lion, and he rolled over, roaring with agony. The nobles and hunters soon dispatched the beast, and when it was dead all joined in louding the prince to the sky. "'Tell me, O prince,' said Max, as they were wending home, followed by the carcass of the lion, borne on the spears of the hunters, "'Tell me, Did you strike purposely at the lion's eye? Surely I could strike at no better place, and I have been trained to a steady and sure hand. And Max thought to himself that Neko was the bravest as well as the handsomest prince that ever lived. That evening, as the sun was traveling westward toward the desert, these two were idling away the hour in one of the courts of the palace. It was a beautiful spot, cool with the spray from the fountain and musical with the sound of falling waters. They were idly tossing a ball backward and forward to each other. The prince leaned against a gilded trellis on which some rare vine was growing. He spoke suddenly, "'Max, I feel strangely restless. "'When I went early this morning to the temple of Osiris, "'the priest told me that I should be in deadly peril this day.' but that Osiris would this night be pleased with me. I would have hesitated to go hunt the lions this morning, but I thought if Osiris was pleased with me, I had naught to fear, even if death came. And now the hunt is over, and I was not in deadly peril. Surely you were in danger this morning of losing your life, Prince. Be assured that is what the priests foretold. "'I think not,' answered the prince, and then was silent. Suddenly there came springing through one of the entrances to the court an immense dog. Max recognized it as a huge mastiff, one of the largest and fiercest. His voice was a hoarse roar of rage, and his great mouth, wide open, showed his white teeth. With gleaming eyes he rushed at the prince— And when Neko saw him, he gave a shriek, strangely like the cry of a cat, and sprang up the trellis, which began to bend with his weight. "'Oh, Max, save me! Save me from the magician!' he screamed. Max, very much startled and rather shocked at the prince's fright, seized his sword and rushed at the dog, who now turned his rage on Max. The boy struck at him again and again with the sword, And finally, with a sharp thrust of its point, he gave the dog his death wound. Max turned to see the prince trembling and cowering with his hands over his face. "'Look up, dear prince. He is dying. You have nothing to fear.' "'I cannot look until the life has left him. It is the evil one who has this wicked enchantment over me,' answered the prince. Just then, with a groan, the dog stiffened himself." And died. Then suddenly, from the palace, from the temples, from the city, arose a great shout of joy. Max was clasped close in the prince's arms and felt his warm tears on his face. Still the shouting went on. It was a glad psalm of thanksgiving for one beloved of the gods and men, who was delivered from great evil. Glory and thanksgiving, chanted the priests. Joy, joy, sang the people and while they listened, suddenly the king and queen, Candace and Moses, and a great company were around them. They would have knelt to Max, but he would not allow it. But while he witnessed the father's and mother's joy over their son, suddenly he remembered his own father, left alone in a distant land, and a great longing to go to him took possession of his heart. He could not tell this longing to Necho, for already he was planning a happy life in Egypt, with Max as his other self, and Max knew that when he returned to his own country, he must bid adieu to Necho during this life. Now as he walked, troubled in mind, in the palace gardens, the queen sent for him to come to her, and she said, Dear Max, Saviour of my son, what is it that troubles thee? Then Max laid all before her, and she answered, It is right that thou shouldst go, for not only does thy father need thee, but thou dost belong to a far away race and age that we may never know. It is not meet that thou abide here. Nay, we must not hold thee, lest we risk the anger of the gods. Go, then, to thine own country. Only sometimes, in thy dreams, remember us, who then will be only phantoms of a forgotten past. Her dark eyes looked sadly at Max, and he answered, Beautiful queen and loved mistress, I will never cease to remember Egypt and thee and my loved prince. And while he was yet speaking, the sun had risen, and Max was sleeping in his own bed at home. He sprang up to see if the Egyptian dress was on the chair, where he had found it, but his own garments were there. He hastily dressed, but while doing so glanced at his hand and saw the prince's thumb ring, which Necho had placed on it the day before. Then Max knew that he would never see Necho again. He ran downstairs, half hoping to find Candace in the sitting room. He found the cook, looking much mystified. "'Where is Candace?' asked Max. "'Sure enough, where is Candace, and Moses, too? "'Not a sign of them can I find this morning. "'It's my belief they have run off and taken the cat with them, "'for I tried to find him an hour ago to catch a mouse that was in the pantry. "'Not that the lazy thing would catch it, "'for he never would catch mice, the spoiled little. "'Now, now, cook, you shall not speak a word against Necco,' declared Max. "'It certainly was very strange to all but Max.' For from that day nothing was heard of Candace, Moses, or Necho until one of Moses' colored friends declared that he had visited them in a neighboring city, where they lived quietly as Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, and he further declared that he had stroked Necho's back many times during the visit. But, as the colored gentleman's statements were always to be taken with a grain of salt, Max placed no faith in the story— for he knew full well that Necho and his attendants were in Egypt, where he was indeed a prince. End of chapter ten. Recording by Christine Lehman, Reseda, California.